0: Welcome to the Imperial Healthcare Business Podcast. My name is De Douwe, and the host for this episode is Selvi Ramalingam. We'll be speaking to Daniela Skadinger, who is the VP and Marketing Director of Oaken Healthcare. Oaken Healthcare is a company which is pioneering in the development and manufacture and commercialization of women healthcare products. We truly enjoy this conversation, and we hope you do too. Hi, Daniela. Thanks for joining us today. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Hello, thank you for having me. I'm very happy
1: to talk a little bit about um, my background and um, what we're doing in Ocon Healthcare. So I've been working in the women's health field for the past decade. Um, I've previously led and built up a pharmaceutical company in women's health, um, carrying a full portfolio of women's health products. And um, I've had the pleasure to actually um, distribute uh, Ocon Healthcare's uh, innovative product as the first distributor globally. Um, And um, yeah, I'm very excited to share about our journey, some of the challenges and opportunities we had um, along the way with you today.
0: That sounds great. Um, Maybe we can start with a history of birth control methods. Um, I was reading about this a few days ago. Looks like in the <clears throat> ancient times, women used iron chastity bells and mercury as form of birth control methods. And now we have come a long way. Uh, can you tell a little bit about the history of the modern birth control options?
1: Sure, yes. Um, there have been many methods used previously, like you mentioned, and a lot of them actually came from the nature. <laughs> and uh, nature still has a lot to offer, but uh, we, we've definitely come a long way. So we are working in the field of IUDs. And when we look at the history of intrauterine devices, it's actually quite interesting that the first true intrauterine device was actually small stones that were placed uh, inside uh, the uterus of camels. Um, This was done by nomads to prevent pregnancy during long caravan um, travels. And this is how um, they found out that putting a foreign body inside the uterus can actually prevent pregnancy, which then later on was developed as an IUD for women. Um, The first intrauterine device for women was a ring that was placed inside the uterus um, that did not actually have any uh, drug or substance on it. It was just a foreign body preventing um, the fertilization of the egg and um, it from implanting. Um, We've uh, also there come a long way. Now there is IUDs with drugs uh, that are hormonal or IUDs that are non-hormonal that use copper and that just make use of much higher quality materials um, and cause less uh, side effects. Um, also, the pill, obviously, was a big revolution um, for women and the freedom of women. And, um, but when we look at it, most of these inventions um, occurred in 1960, um, and there hasn't been really much innovation ever since. Uh, most of the modern birth control methods that we use today um, are more than 60 years old. So uh, we believe there is really a need for change, for innovation, for more options, for uh, more alternatives for women, but also for men. Most of these contraceptive methods have been developed for women. We still have to carry the burden um, of it. We have to deal with the side effects. Uh, We have to think about it. If it's a short-acting contraceptive method, it's interfering with our daily lives, with our lifestyles. So um, I hope there will be more innovation coming also uh, for men and um, also to reduce side effects for women.
0: So as you mentioned, there are two different types of IUDs. Um, Let's just focus on IUD for a minute here. Uh, What is the hard model? The other one is... um, you know, copper. And um, looks like these IUDs are like 99% effective, but despite its effectiveness, it's not still commonly used in many countries. For example, um, I'm quoting this from the Nature paper, in any given year from 2012 to 2018, CDC found only 8% used IUD in the United States and 6% in Australia and 10% in the United Kingdom. What do you think is the reason behind this?
1: You, uh, uh, you are very right with the statistics, um, although if we look at it from a global use, um, IUDs are the second most widely used contraceptive method because um, the Asian regions are heavily rely on this method, but um, still today actually sterilization is the number one uh, contraceptive method. Um, and um, when you ask women why they would not use birth control in general, but be it IUDs or be it uh, the pill, 20% of um, the participants answered that it's the fear of side effects. Um, So the issue that we're having with the modern contraceptive that's available today is that um, it causes a lot of side effects, be it systemic side effects from taking oral formulation or be it side effects due to the shape and design of the most widely IDs uh, that are used today um, that just uh, interfere with uh, our lifestyle, with our life, cause pain, cause bleeding and uh, women remove these and then they're left without a contraceptive method which um, increases the risk of an unwanted pregnancy and um, also the risk of an abortion, which can lead to um, its health issues later on. So um, we in Ocon really uh, believe that it needs more uh, solutions with less side effects. That's uh, our mission actually to work on products to introduce just better designed products for the female anatomy and for the female body. Uh, because as I mentioned before, these methods have been around for 60 years. 60 years ago, we didn't have the research we have today. We didn't know too much about the female anatomy, about the um, uterus that we know today. There wasn't a three-dimensional ultrasound available. So we today rely on much more research in this area so we can develop products that are Um, modern
0: and actually appropriate for today's times. You mentioned a couple of side effects. Um, Can you specifically talk about some of the side effects of the intrauterine devices compared to the birth control pills? Uh, Are the side effects more when it comes to IUDs? um, Are you better off with uh, birth control pills?
1: That's a really good um, question and um, it's an important one because what we see is that um, there's a lack of education on these um, issues and also healthcare professionals don't always have the time to educate on side effects. So we really want to make sure that women are aware um, of some of the side effects they have to face. When it comes to IUDs, IUDs actually are a great choice of contraceptive method because they have um, some of the least side effects if we look at the full uh, portfolio and if we compare it to oral contraceptives, the pill. Um, So some of the side effects that can occur are insertion related because an IUD has to be placed inside the uterus by a healthcare professional. So there is insertion related risks Uh, such as perforation, where the walls of the uterus can be um, perforated um, and um, some of it can be expulsion. Around 5% of women don't tolerate a foreign body in the uterine cavity. So the body automatically tries to push it out. Um, This usually occurs within the first three months after an IUD has been placed. Um, And then some of the IUDs can cause more pain and more bleeding, which is related to the shape um, of the device that it's placed inside the uterine cavity. But overall, they're actually very well tolerated even by women who haven't given birth before. This is some of the myths that uh, we encounter still today that healthcare professionals and women believe that if they haven't, given birth before they cannot use an IUD. Um, That is not true. And actually um, the American College of Gynecology even um, recommends IUDs as a first line uh, contraceptive uh, for uh, young women, teenagers, uh, to prevent unwanted pregnancies. If we look at the side effects of the pill and combined hormonal contraception, that's not only the pill, there can be an implant, there can be a vaginal ring. There uh, we can even look at more serious side effects. And um, I've, I've had oral contraceptives previously in my portfolio um, in a previous company. And I must tell you, um, I've seen a young 25 year old woman, healthy, die because of taking uh, birth control. And um, this is really shocking because most of the women that get prescribed um, these these oral contraceptives are not aware of these risks. These risks are venous thrombolic events. Uh, These are blood clots that can build up, um, especially if women have a history in the family of such blood clots but also other risk factors like smoking, um, overweight, uh, high blood pressure, all of this can increase the risk by multiple, multiple times. So it is really, really important to um, consult with a healthcare professional beforehand and not just uh, go on a pill because you need a a birth control and really find out what is the best uh, method for each and every woman because um, there are um, pre-medical predispositions where women cannot take a certain contraceptive method and uh, not only that it's on the one hand the medical history but also the preference. Some women might not actually remember to take a pill every day and some might not actually like to have a foreign body um, in the uterus so Uh, There's there's a wonderful app by the WHO, by the World Health Organization that can be downloaded and um, where you can enter your medical uh, history and you can enter your prevalences. And uh, it will recommend uh, specific types of birth control to you. Um, And it's somewhat customized because it's really um, an art to choose the right
0: contraceptive method. Um, that sounds amazing. Do you remember the name of the app?
1: You can uh, actually look it up if you put in WHO contraceptive prevalence. I think it's uh, and uh, and you will you will find that app. Okay. Um, and especially also for for example, women that are breastfeeding, they need a specific um, contraception, and then. We, we change our method. you know, women uh, barely stay on a method for their whole life. Uh, we go through different phases. We need different um, alternatives depending on what stage in our life we're at.
0: Yeah, of course. Um, so besides um, the difficulty of like, you know, going, having to need an appointment to get, go get the uh, IOD placed, and then uh, also to remove, uh, there is a degree of, uns- I mean like, um, inconvenience. But besides that, do you think cost of IUD plays a role in, you know, in deciding whether uh, somebody wants to choose an IUD over um, birth control pills? Such a great question. uh, Because there has
1: been a study, it's called the choice study. It's been the biggest contraceptive study um, done. And they asked women um, for the choice of uh, birth control, when the cost barrier was, was removed, and when the educational barrier was removed, because it's not only cost, but also education. And when those two things were um, improved, so when they could choose a contraceptive method, no matter the price, (laughs) um, and when they knew enough about the method, the majority would actually choose an IUD. So this study uh, was the first study that showed that there is work to be done Um, in education and in uh, access, um, making contraceptive accessible, making it affordable, um, because IUDs are the most um, effic- efficacious contraceptive methods available. And besides the fact that you have to have it placed um, with the healthcare professional, once that's done, you can have it for five or even up to 10 years. And um, I believe it's worth it because it's a very, very short uh, procedure. And um, it's um, it's been done, it can be done in the office. So then you have uh, five years or even up to 10 years where you don't have to think about it.
0: Wow! and thanks IB for Googling. So it looks like it's called um, WHO contraceptive tool, if anybody wants to check out. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Ocon Healthcare when what, when it was founded and is it an acronym and what it stands for if it is an acronym?
1: Yes, so Ocon stands for O configuration and the O is because um, our platform uh, technology is actually a ball. So it's around, uh, it's two circles, two loops that are uh, intervened. So it's a three-dimensional ball shape. And um, the company is uh, not a very um, young company. We've been around for 10 years. And um, it all started with a a wonderful idea of uh, introducing a ball into the uterine cavity, which resulted from a gynecologist, the founder of the company, um, who is a specialist in uh, contraception and um, he placed a lot of different IUDs. And uh, he had women come to him and complain about side effects with IUDs. So they were complaining about either pain or bleeding. And when he looked um, at uh, the ultrasound and usually two dimensional ultrasound is done still today, now, if, if any ultrasound is even done, there are countries where there's no ultrasound checkups. And um, he found nothing wrong. He looked at the ultrasound images and everything looked fine. But he digged a little deeper and he actually went inside the uterine cavity with a camera. Um, it's called hysteroscopy. And um, he saw that these T-shaped IUDs were actually shifted and turned inside the uterine cavity. So they have completely turned upside down or the two arms were stuck in the fallopian tubes or the leg was penetrating one of the walls. So you can imagine that this is extremely painful, but often these women that um, experience these side effects like pain and bleeding when they go to their healthcare professional, they're not taken seriously because these healthcare professionals look at the ultrasound images, they don't see an issue and and then sent home. This pain can also actually radiate to the leg, to the back, uh, to the lower back, so it's not always a direct connection to the uterus and to an IUD. So when when this uh, gynecologist saw all these issues with the t shaped uh, IUDs and looking at the uterus um, in a different perspective, he realized that our uterus is a three-dimensional cavity and we are three-dimensional human beings. When you put a two-dimensional T-shaped device in a three-dimensional cavity that constantly contracts, not only during menstruation, but throughout our cycle, it will cause issues. These IUDs will shift, they will turn, they will perforate. Um, They're just not well-designed for female anatomy. So he came up with this um, amazing idea of putting a spherical three-dimensional ball that is much smaller than the T-shaped IUDs inside the uterine cavity to avoid irritation of the endometrium. It's flexible, so it's it adjusts to the contractions of the um, uterine cavity. And um, it doesn't have any sharp edges. Uh, it's round. It's just designed for a female uh, body. But uh, the challenge was how can you introduce a ball shape through a very, very thin uh, and narrow cervical canal. Our cervical canal is only one to two millimeters. The ball is around 1.5 centimeters. So um, he needed to have a special material that can take on any shape that you pre uh, record to that material. It's called uh, memory shape alloy uh, that's introduced to a very, very narrow um, insertion tube. And once it's released inside the uterine cavity, it automatically forms into a ball shape. So it's um, somewhat of a smart material that remembers its shape.
0: Wow, that sounds amazing and sounds like a very simple solution too. Do you think, um, so the technology has assisted in the development of this, but you it, it's not only the shape of uh, the device, but also the ability to place the device inside the, um, where exactly is it placed? Inside the uterus, yes. Okay. Or, uh, or I don't want to yeah. say that wrong, <laughs> inside the uterus. Obviously, clearly, um, it's not only really the um, lack of innovation in this area, but the technology was also lagging behind. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the um, products that you have developed at OCON?
1: Sure, so the beauty of this platform that we have that originated from a non-hormonal copper IUD, um, we realized that um, having such a much better tolerated and uh, better designed product for the female femalectomy, um, is an ideal carrier for any drug or substance that you can put on there. So uh, with our IUD, it's small copper beads, but with our follow on products, these can be substances and beads of any type. This can be drug eluding, this can be substance eluding. And um, we are actually tackling various women's health issues with our follow on products and our pipeline that we're currently developing. So our second product is a spherical endometrial ablation device um, that's used for abnormal or heavy menstruation. So one out of four women suffers from abnormal uterine bleeding or heavy menstrual bleeding. And um, these women really have a terrible quality of life. They cannot leave the house without a second uh, set of clothes. Um, It's very interfering in their daily lives. And the options they have today is either to take hormonal treatments, which don't always work for these women, or to go through what's called a endometrial ablation. So this is where the lining of the uterus is actually removed. Um, And these women then end up infertile. So this is really only a choice for a woman that has already uh, entered her uh, family planning. And there's not really much uh, options in between. In the U.S., for example, a lot of these women go through a full uh, hysterectomy, meaning they remove their uterus. And it's very, very common. Even in Eastern Europe, they don't give these um, therapies or surgical um, options, they remove the uterus altogether, which is a shame and also has, of course, health issues um, that will develop later on. So with our product, we actually have um, a product that can be used in the doctor's clinic and um, it's like an IUD. Uh, So we've used the same technology but the beads melt into a paste and that paste um, creates somewhat of a gentle peeling to the uterine lining. So it removes all that tissue that's bleeding extensively and it it resets the uterine cavity to a normal menstruation or even a lower menstruation than what's normal.
0: Oh, wow. So so how often do you have to place that? Is it like a one-time treatment or how does that work?
1: Yes. So we are now in clinical studies phase two. Uh, We've had 15 women already uh, go through the procedure and um, we are now recruiting more women um, to to test the product. Uh, So far, we've followed them for a full year. And what's amazing is the, the, the bleeding pattern drops instantly within the first month and then actually stays low throughout the year. So we know by now that um, it will uh, last for a year. Uh, We will follow them uh, for longer now to see how long this will actually reset. But uh, even if uh, women have to go through it once a year, it's a very cost-effective, non-invasive procedure that can be done in any setting office setting, it doesn't need any anesthesia, doesn't need any surgical um, setting. So um, it it will be a great solution for women that's non-hormonal, that's non-invasive, and that's just more cost-effective. And even if we look at uh, low um, income countries, um, it can be
0: a wonderful solution where they now don't really have any solution at all. That sounds amazing. So about the IUD that you are developing or using, does it use copper or does it use hormones? So that's a great question as well, because the
1: uh, first IUD that we already have commercialized, the Ballerine, it's a non-hormonal IUD that uses copper, but we're also developing a hormonal version um, with a slow release, Uh, drug that's introduced into the uh, uterus. Um, That's in uh, research and development at the moment. But the great thing is we can actually use any drugs that um, are now taken orally. And some of these drugs actually have been removed from some of the markets because of liver damage or other uh, organ uh, damage. Systemic side effects. And by taking these drugs and introducing it directly to the target tissue, we avoid these systemic side effects and have a much um, less invasive uh, therapy option for women that suffer from endometriosis, from fibroids, myomas, uh, uterine cancers. So even menopausal treatments that can be introduced directly into the uterus. So there are so many options and a massive potential to minimize side effects for women to have a a very easy to use platform uh, that uh, then can uh, be introduced by experienced uh, healthcare professionals that have used it for other products because It's the same platform that's introduced the same way, be it contraception, be it for abnormal uterine bleeding, heavy menstruation, endometriosis, you name it. So um, we we believe it will really uh, improve women's quality of life. And we're actually even working on introducing a little chip onto our uh, ball so we could build the biggest AI database um, in women's health because there's so much that we can measure from these um, devices, internal wearables, how we call them. Um, And uh, it can really be used for early detection of some cancerous cells or vitamin levels, microbiomes, uh, a lot of possibilities.
0: Wow, well, it sounds like uh, you actually found the magic bullet. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you finance um, Ocon, if you may talk about, um, was there any resistance in the development of um, new IUDs or was it challenging to find investors to um, fund for your projects?
1: Yes, so I think uh, anyone working in the femtech space will probably agree with me that it's uh, always challenging. <laughs> uh, very little um, funding is actually allocated to women's health. Although it's been increasing over the years, it's still a very little percentage out of the overall uh, healthcare care uh, funding. Uh, Ocon is backed by venture capital uh, funds. Um, We were lucky to have some big funds out of Israel to support us, but also we've recently uh, been supported by Raya Ventures, for example, which is a women's health dedicated fund um, out of the US. um, And they are very supportive. And what we've seen is that there are more and more women's health funds now coming to the horizon and funds that actually invest in women-led companies. Uh, Ocon is women-led. We have a wonderful female CEO and we're 85% women on the team. So we have, uh, (laughs) I think we have two men (laughs) Um, just to to, uh, be inclusive. (laughs) But um, now it, it's the right time now, I think, to, to come to, to look for funding for women's health. It's still challenging. What we have seen that really helped us is when we've changed the story. So we've uh, gone through a little bit of a reset within the company. We previously weren't uh, all women. We, we were actually led by an almost 100% male management team and our board was mainly men. Uh, This all changed uh, two years ago, and um, we have done a full restructuring of the company. We have also repositioned our product offering, because when you have a one-off product that is a contraception, it becomes very difficult to, to get more funding, and it takes quite a lot of money to get it through clinical trials, and we now want to bring our innovation to the U.S., so that's very expensive hobbies, (laughs) Um, but by us positioning it as a platform technology that can actually cater to so many different um, issues and um, indications, the market potential becomes massive because these are all big markets. Even if we look at menopause by itself, it's a massive market opportunity, but also abnormal uterine bleeding, a lot of women suffer from these um, issues. So when you have a platform that you can actually cater to all the different issues women face throughout their life stages, the market opportunity becomes really, really attractive for investors. And that has really helped us. We have just recently um, secured some funding and we're now in another funding round uh, to bring the innovation to
0: the U.S., um, but um, it's definitely not easy. My very best wishes for that. Um, so I just want to go back to the products a little bit. <clears throat> How many products of Ocon is available for public right now? So we have one product that's commercialized.
1: That's the Ballerine, the non-hormonal contraceptive. Um, And um, we have our phase two product, which will uh, hopefully become commercialized in 2024, 2025. So we are really excited uh, about that. And then our follow-on pipeline um, will come to market the years after.
0: Is um, balladine available outside of Israel? Yes, so um, it's
1: available in 30 markets, uh, mainly in Europe, uh, but also in parts of Africa. And um, we are now launching in um, a lot of regions in Latin America. Um, And uh, we have recently also uh, signed a distributor for Russia. And so we're, we're expanding and hoping to be available in the U.S. Um, also around 2024. Uh, so we can offer that innovation also to um, American women.
0: Um, so are, who are the competitors in the United States or Europe or other countries? Are there anything that is similar to what you offer at OCON? So for the ballerine, um of course the competitors are
1: the traditional IUDs What we have done in Ocon, we have actually partnered with our competitors, if you will. So we have identified companies that have a portfolio of IDs and that um, have taken on the Ballerine as an additional product. We have not always had that strategy, but... um, Initially, we started out with pharmaceutical companies that maybe have uh, pills, oral contraceptives or other types of contraceptives, but we found that they actually were not the right fit for us because an IUD is something that's placed, that requires training, that requires support. So we were better off finding companies that already know how to sell IUDs, how to train the healthcare professionals, how to offer the support and add it to their portfolio. And what we've seen is that the Bellarine took over a big chunk of their market shares. <laughs> but um, That's good. You for know, you. And, uh, it was good. We had to renegotiate some of our uh, contracts because obviously um, we all want to benefit from it. Firstly, we want to offer more choices for women and better alternatives. but um, of course you want to um, you want to have long- term partnerships because these partners, these distributors we work with, they invest, they invest in education, they invest in training. so we want them to actually have long- term benefits as well. Um, but uh, I think um, yeah. Nothing easier than prolonging a contract if you know it's working
0: and um,
1: if you see the partnership is, uh, is good.
0: That's wonderful. Uh, so how much does it cost and um, how long does it last?
1: So in Europe, um, it's priced at around 100 euros. So it's a premium product. It's more expensive than the uh, cheaper traditional copper IUDs. Hormonal IUDs are um, a little bit more expensive than than the ballerine. It's uh, for five years in Europe. So if you compare it to the price of the pill, it's cheaper. But of course, it's an upfront payment. So you pay once and then you have it for five years. In the US, IUDs are much more expensive. And um, in the US, you can look at somewhat around $1,000 for for a copper IUD. So it's a completely different uh, market. And what's shocking to us when we first went into this space, um, US women only have one copper IUD available today. There is no other options. There is one um, copper IUD. And then there is a few variants of one hormonal IUD, if you will. So we believe it is really time to also enter the US and just give more options and uh, more choices for women. It's really, it's really shocking to see that in Europe, as a comparison, we have 50 different types of copper IUDs. So it's, um, it, it is really such a different market. And then if you look at Asia, there, they have even more types of IUDs
0: because IUDs are prevalently used there, so yeah. Yeah, I wonder why um, there is a lack of innovation within uh, IUD in the United States. Uh, looks like birth control pill seems to be the most commonly used by many women. Not sure if it's the convenience mm-hmm. or if there is a problem with the insurance with coverage. Of, um, I also um, heard that you know. Inserting the IUD sometimes might be covered by the insurance, but you know, removing the IUD may not be covered by the insurance, and you may have to pay for that. So, for all those reasons, uh, uh, maybe also, to yeah, you you're
1: definitely right there. But also, it's a regulatory issue. So, in Europe, um, IUDs are considered copper IUDs. They're considered a medical device whereas in the U.S. it's considered a drug. So as a pharmaceutical company or as a medical device company, uh, bringing this product to Europe is much cheaper and much quicker than bringing it to the U.S. In the U.S., you need a full clinical trial like you do for drugs. And some of these um, IUD manufacturers that only have copper IUDs it's sometimes not necessarily feasible for them to take the IUD through a full FDA trial. And that's what we are now fundraising because it it is an expensive exercise. So for us, it makes sense because we have a full product portfolio that will come after it. So this is our first uh, flagship product that once we take it through the FDA, it will be easier also to introduce all our follow-on portfolio. Wow.
0: Um, So, were there any resistance um, or challenges that you faced with the development of IUD devices? Um,
1: Definitely. So when we first started out, um, we mainly talked to men. be it uh, male investors, be it male doctors, because still um, the majority of gynecologists or health providers um, here are still male. And um, also in the investment uh, scene, it was majorly male dominated. The things we often heard was, well, why do we need something new? Um, what we have works. And when we started to talk about some of the drawbacks that IUDs come with and pain and bleeding, we often heard, well, I don't actually have that experience. So um, my patients are actually very happy with their IUDs. So it is really difficult to, to convince some of these um, opinionated um, key opinion leaders that believe that there is not necessarily a need for innovation in this space. What we have seen is that it's all about targeting. So we really focused on the open-minded, young, preferably female (laughs) healthcare professionals, and also investors. Because once you show a video, and we have video materials of these IUDs, how they perforate the uterine walls, how they poke, you know, the, the fallopian tubes, how they shift and turn. When you have a uterus, you uh, feel it even looking at that video material, you can feel the pain. Absolutely. And we have so many nerves inside there. So it's really painful. And as women, we know the pain of taking a pill every day, the pain of headaches, the pain of breast tenderness, mood swings. You know, there's so much that goes with it. So um, it really is important to know who to best talk to and who to target, not only as your customer, but also in terms of when you're trying to get funding. Um, And it really
0: helps changing the, the target group So uh, how did COVID impact Ocon Healthcare? Well, um, there's two sides to COVID. On the
1: one hand, it's been a blessing for a startup like Ocon because we're still a startup um, and we're fundraising. So we have to be, um, you know, um, careful how we spend our money. So what COVID did is it really helped us participate in global conferences via Zoom, um, be part of panel discussions, networking, everything became so much cheaper and so much more efficient. We went through a full funding round without ever meeting our investors. (laughs) They are in the US, so... And um, we, we, we managed to do it. Uh, it was the most efficient funding round we ever did. <laughs> and we had so much exposure online through LinkedIn, through all the social media platforms. So on that hand, it was very, very positive for us. Of course, there's also negatives um, with an IUD that needs to be inserted by a healthcare professional and having a global health pandemic that in the beginning limited some medical treatments to emergency only, um, and we didn't quite know how long it would last. So we saw a drop in in insertions and placements and therefore also a drop in sales. But as soon as the offices opened back up and it was maybe one or two quarters, and then we could actually see the uptake again because I think what the pandemic also did is it um, gave women a chance to maybe think a little bit more about their birth control choices. Some of the birth control wasn't necessarily available even if we talk about oral contraceptives. There was a shortage, there were delivery chain issues, you had issues with going to the pharmacy, so uh, some women actually told us they decided to get an IUD because then they know they have a five year full protection and, but also removal was an issue in the UK, for example, they, um, they didn't allow IUD removals. So there were women stuck with their IUDs that would have had to be replaced, not necessarily knowing are they still protected or not. It's very uncertain. And um, yeah, it was definitely a difficult situation, I think, for everyone. But um, all in all, I think for us, we now, we learned a lot. We also changed some of our training to online training. We developed online training platforms for healthcare professionals. We did webinars, educational webinars, also for women. So we, a lot of good also came out of it.
0: Uh, so as you can, as you mentioned, like, you know, uh, not able to remove the, um, IUD devices during the pandemic, um, that is a problem. So are you also focusing on patches that can be inserted in the arms? Um, I think there are a couple of them, um, that are available now. So, yeah, I think
1: you're talking, um, I know there are uh, patches, but there's also implants that can be implanted yes. in the arms. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. That
0: next are, plan on is it? Yeah.
1: Yes, exactly. These are, these are implants that, um, use a combined hormonal, um, or actually, uh, one hormone that is introduced, um, into the arm. So it's, um, it's, um, it's not a combined option. It's one hormone. And, uh, we, we in Ocon focus on the uterus. <laughs> so this is really our main target group. Um, but, um, what we do is we talk with some of these manufacturers or companies that have other types of contraception, but also other types of drugs and see how we can maybe work together in introducing some of these drugs through the uterus. Um, what I can say is that working with gynecologists and healthcare professionals, that are usually operating more in the, um, you know, um, area of the uterus or uh, vaginal areas. It can sometimes be a challenge when they now have to insert an implant into the arm. And um, But uh, there are different options and I'm actually quite happy that there are more options than just a pill or an IUD but there are rings, there are implants, there are patches. And I think the more options we have as women, the better. So uh, I can only, um, you know, um, applaud anyone who's researching in this area and bringing innovation to the space because we desperately need it.
0: Absolutely. So do you think in the future with help of um, artificial intelligence, we will be able to predict the time the exact time when the implant can be removed? This is
1: definitely something that that would be amazing and that is being worked on in general. I think AI is already used in apps and in uh, wristbands, you know, fertility uh, tracking that's also used for contraception. So I think the more data we have, the better we can understand our bodies and the better we can understand um, our cycle. There's still a lot of unknown um, out there. So this will definitely help um, in collecting this data. The issue with AI is you need a lot, a lot of women using it to actually get accurate data. So we need to combine powers also. I think um, this would be something that I would love to see in the future, anyone working with AI and anyone in general collecting data, making it publicly available for healthcare purposes to actually help predict uh, certain parameters. And it's used in other areas already. If you look at skin cancer detection, it, um, it works great. And um, I think it's something that we, we, should, we should use for women's health. Why not?
0: Okay. Absolutely. Can you talk about your future goals? Sure. For us, um,
1: our future goals, um, of course, are to be part of um, building this data and collecting this data and uh, contributing to more knowledge, to more research in the area of women's health. Um, mm-hmm. For us, it's all about eliminating or at least reducing side effects for women. So, we really want to, we came up with this uh, slogan in the company because we're, we're mostly women. We're like, women, we need to stop siding with side effects because, um, you know, it's not just in women's health issues. If we look in general healthcare, there's so much gender bias we are taking drugs that are designed for men. And not only drugs we are taking, we're using um, smartphones that are designed for men. We're driving cars that are tested on male crash dummies. We are, uh, there, there's so much lack of, um, you know, gender uh, specific medicine and gender designed um, devices. So this is something that um, we are very passionate about and we want to revolutionize the space. So for now, we're very much focusing on the uterus and what we can do to really avoid uh, side effects. But in the future, we want to really be part of a more gender specific um, designed healthcare that uh, really takes the female anatomy into account.
0: Yeah, so as you mentioned, there's a huge potential in femtech, but the growth has been very slow. Do you foresee a change in this trend? I do. I'm an optimistic person,
1: um, and so is our CEO. Um, we do believe there is a change coming. We see it already. Um, now, it's still, it's, we, we, we're always so amazed we're part of this femtech network that's a global network. And no matter in which event we are in what panel discussion, what conference, you start to see familiar faces. um, And it's really somewhat of a family now and everyone is so connected, but it really helps. It helps with funding. It helps with spreading the message. It's becoming such an ecosystem now, this whole femtech space. Everyone supporting each other, which is amazing, which I haven't seen before, I must say. Um, we have women that help us, you know, talk to investors. They they don't want anything for it. They just are happy to contribute to the cause, to help, and um, that's what we try to do. We try to uh, give back to the community. We try to help other founders, other startup leaders. And I think this will create a change. It's already creating a change and I think it will create more change to come. And um, we need more funding in this space. So whenever a startup in this space exits or has a massive merger or goes public, it's for all of us. (laughs) It helps all of us. We can then flaunt it. We can set new benchmarks. And I think that's what we need. um, I think now is a perfect time for that. And we already see it. We see bigger deals. We see more and more funding that goes into this space. And
0: um, I think it's gonna, it's gonna
1: keep growing.
0: Let's hope so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> last but not least, what is your advice for students like me who are contemplating, not me per se, but who are contemplating to enter into FEMTECH space?
1: I think um, optimism for sure is something that um, I would advise anyone who wants to enter you know, any space or wants to um, be part of a startup or be part of this growing ecosystem. You need to be optimistic and um, the network. There's so much opportunity now Um, like I said before with COVID, um, everything's online now. It's so easy to access for free. You know, you just need to be in the right networks. You need to participate in these webinars. You need to um, be part of these conversations. We've had students in some of our panel discussions, we participated in some of the women's health conferences that um, asked questions that introduce themselves, that asked for maybe uh, a mentor, or even just to have a conversation about um, certain questions they have entering this space. And I know we are always open to that, but also other people I've seen in these conferences and wonderful women I've met um, that want to empower other women to get into this space. So, don't be afraid to ask, don't be afraid to really uh, contact um, leaders in this space and uh, be part of the conversation. I think that really is the best advice um, um, I I hopefully can give uh, (laughs) to students that want to enter that space.
0: Thank you, thank you so much. Thanks for taking your time and um, taking us through the uh, world of IUD devices. (laughs) Um, And I really appreciated things. Thank you. It was such a pleasure talking to you.